Hello and welcome to the Mordinary Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Meredith. And we are the Moors. We are ordinary people who have experienced more than ordinary circumstances. Settle in as we discuss ordinary life and its extraordinary potential. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Mordinary Podcast. We have a great, great guest with us today. We're really excited for you to meet. Um, he's actually our counselor and a really dear friend of ours. Our guest today has been married to his wife for 33 years. They have three adult children and have one young, uh, young grand, new granddaughter in the last few months. Our guest today did his undergraduate work as an education in biblical studies at The Ohio State University in Cincinnati Christian. He did his graduate work at Xavier University in agency and community counseling and got his PhD at the University of Cincinnati in counseling and educational supervision. He was also a member of the faculty as a professor at the University of Cincinnati and a co-founder of the Healing Our Core Issues Institute. Now, all of that aside, he's also just a wonderful human being. So uh, welcome, Dr. Butts, to, I'd like to say our studio, but we're in the middle of a pandemic right now, and we're doing this remotely. So welcome to us via Zoom. <laughs> it's great to be here, and this is... Um... An experience right now as we're doing this. I'm looking at Johnny and Meredith. They're looking at me. I'm in Mason, Ohio, and they're up in Dayton. So, uh, welcome to the world we are living in right now. Yeah, it's a whole nother world. And you know, let's go ahead and start there. From a mental health professional and just the counseling background that you have, if you had to give our guests just three practices or three things that would be good for them to keep in mind just for their own mental health right now, what would your suggestions be? It's a great question, Johnny. I think the first thing that I would just encourage anyone listening to this is to understand how important it is right now to take care of yourself. And what I mean by that is that we are living in unprecedented times, as everyone knows. We were designed in our nervous system to experience fight, flight, and freeze. We were not designed to live in chronic fight, which is really what's going on right now. Every one of us has uh, a sense of something that is happening. Depending on our personality, it will go from fight to flight or to freeze. And this is about how our nervous system copes. And the reason why I say that is that as the viewers are listening, I want to encourage you to have self-compassion. That would be number one, is to just know that these uh, experiences that we're living every day are affecting us. Awareness leads then to the second thing that I'm going to say is um, self-care. And each one of us has to decide what that means. But the idea of it is that something that is pleasurable to you, because we're in this chronic state of awareness hypervigilance, that we have to slow down and take care of ourselves. It can be a good cup of coffee, a book, a walk, a nap, but just knowing that what is happening right now uh, is affecting us, slowing down, taking care of ourselves. So number three is that in spite of the fact that we're practicing social distancing, that you want to stay connected to people. And this can be really challenging, but I'm clear that all of us need to have contact with other individuals. And it could be through Zoom, such as we're doing right now, through the phone, 
through FaceTime, but it is really important for all of us to stay connected in these challenging times. Thank you very much. So we are all facing trauma right now with this pandemic. Um, our lives are all changing and bringing challenges. Let's go into how our, our sessions went and how you taught us how to face trauma and overcome. Um, let's start with our first session and what stages of grief you met us at. I think it's important for me to start with a little bit of backstory about you, Johnny. On September 14th, I'm really clear where I was on that day where those hurricane winds blew in. My family and I were boating on um, East Fork Lake with a good friend. And as that emerged that afternoon and we traveled home, uh, we were in those winds and knew how, and I'm in Cincinnati, so south of you all, but uh, something significant was happening. And of course, for all of us, we remember that week, the power being out and all the various things that happened. The next Sunday, my wife and I attend Southbrook Christian Church, and we were driving up uh, through Springboro. And I very clearly remember at the school seeing a sign that said, pray for Johnny Moore. I remember wondering who this is, that Johnny Moore, and um, what this prayer is about. And then that day in the service, Charlie McMahon, the uh, senior minister of Southbrook, said, pray for one of our members, uh, Johnny Moore. He has had a severe an accident, a spinal cord injury, and it, we don't know what the outcome is going to be, but at this point, he is paralyzed from his waist down. So that was my introduction, Johnny, to you and your story. And then a few months later, uh, Meredith, I believe you called me in December. Uh, you were referred to me by a friend of yours, and we talked, which is what I'll do in a first session. And because I knew your name and we uh, talked about it, I had some sense of you as you came into my office that first night in uh, January, which is hard to believe now that we've known each other 10 years. So you were really young then. Now you have a decade behind you and you're still really young and <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> but that night, as you came in, going back to your question now, Johnny, is that I am clear about that night and a memory of you coming in in your wheelchair and Meredith, and again, you were still what I would identify as newlyweds. You'd just been married over a year and a few months, right? Two years. Two years. Yeah. Two years. Okay, so two years and a, and a few months. So that uh, I had anticipated, I knew that you would be in a wheelchair at that moment, Johnny, but uh, what was really striking to me about both of you was your spirit your personalities, uh, both of those shown through that first night. Um, usually I know that as people come in that they have a presenting issue, which your presenting issue would have been the fact that you had had this life-altering experience, Johnny, for you, and then for you, Meredith, as his wife. Neither one of you signed up for this, and now here you are. So I would say that that first night because you have done such a beautiful job of articulating the uh, five stages of grief that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross has uh, so well uh, defined for us, that I would think that that first night, what I saw as we began to talk was that you were still, and it makes total sense, in the bargaining phase, that you weren't sure, I believe, and I would like for you guys to comment on this at that point, what your final 
range of motion that you would have. You might have a better way to articulate it. So as we talked that night, you explained the accident. And again, it was just four months after the accident. So in some ways, you're still in that first stage of grief, which is denial. This can't be real. And for myself, meeting you for the first time, as I sat there thinking, this can't be real. I, I see this young couple with this obstacle now that is in front of them that looks daunting beyond words. So then, but ultimately, I think because you don't know, you're, you're in that process. But, but what are your thoughts about that? I'd be curious, both of you, as you now have really spent the last decade thinking through all this. Yeah. So I, I know for me, I, I think at that point, it really was, I, I, w- I would agree, bargaining. I think that it, it was a weird time because the doctors were saying, you know, shy of a miracle, you'll never walk again. But at the same time, the doctors were saying, we'll know after about a year. So I was in this like limbo period where, you know, tomorrow, am I going to start gaining feeling? You know, could things still come back? There was still like this hope. And I still had this like feeling that the doctors kind of told me that this is going to be permanent, but yet still left me this shred of hope saying that we'll see what you have in a year. So I was still kind of in this holding pattern. And I still was kind of doing that. I would say like you were saying the bargaining of just trying to figure out what reality was going to be. And when you said that, and then I'd like to hear your thoughts too, Meredith, but is that I forgot that even at that point, they said shy of a miracle. Now this is information about me, which is the three of us are talking about something that we haven't talked about together for a long time. I was bargaining. That was like an aha for me right here. Cause I remember when you just said that, I was like, that's right. You had said that, but I still kept thinking there's just a, a, a possibility of hope. Mm-hmm. That's what I held on to, which would, it's just interesting. I'm just being as we're talking together here, kind of what's coming up for me as we're talking. What about for you, Meredith, as you reflect back on January? I would say, I think you hit the nail on the head of how we were feeling. Like, I think we were in denial and then entered into the bargaining. And I think that's why we knew we needed you to help us process all this because there's just so much of a life change very instantly. Mm-hmm. And learning now, what does this mean to have a chair? What does this mean? for our life, our house, our dreams, our hopes, just we're definitely in that what if stage, I think, of kind of coming through that denial shock to, okay, so what is, what does this mean? What, do we go hopeful or do we go, this is what it is kind of feeling, I guess, is probably where we were meeting you at. Yeah, I I mean, I know the permanency of it hadn't really sat in yet, just that this, this is our new normal. I mean, I think at that point we were just trying to get by day by day and week by week. And we hadn't really thought this is our new normal life is part of that process is getting to a point of acceptance of the new normal. And and I think at that point we were just still, I think, right there at the shock and bargaining phases. Yeah. Which I think maybe some of our listeners right now might be facing with this pandemic of feeling Mm -hmm. shock and bargaining and what's next and how long and mm-hmm. which is why I think we're feeling trauma right now and grief. Our next question for you is what stage of grief do you feel we struggled with the most? Well, Meredith, I think that probably, and you're, 
listeners are familiar with this now is that um, it's not a fixed state that we start with shock, you know, that, that this has happened. Uh, we, that's linked to denial. This can't be true. We bargain, which we've talked about. And then for everyone as they're living and especially for what was happening for you all then at some point, you drop into depression, the reality of the um, good word, Johnny, permanence of this, no matter what happens, this is it. And Meredith, you have to adjust to this is our life with this chair and all that it symbolically means for us. We have to hit because to be human, and I believe we were designed this way to experience anger. Anger is a response out of a deeper hurt. And then we come to acceptance and ultimately to what you both are doing right now, making meaning. I know that your audience has um, become familiar with all of this. With that said, I would say probably knowing both of you that anger was the most difficult thing for each of you to tap. And the way that we worked together was primarily um, as a team, the three of us. But I know there were some occasions where, Meredith, I might sit with you and we would talk about what this was like for you and Johnny for you being in the chair. I can remember specific times. And as I would talk about this part of the process, the journey of, of feeling angry, and uh, it was difficult for both of you to really access the idea of anger. It, it came out in frustration. That's mild anger. There's the moderate, which is anger and then rage and you know just the crying out to god and trying to make sense of this and again as i think about it and you all did the work and it was appropriate for you but uh, that would be the most difficult i know that was a long answer but i think that was the most challenging and again i'm curious of uh what each one of your thoughts are for you um if that's right and you agree with me that's great but if you don't that's okay as well so what are your thoughts? I feel like that is so right. I think I can still have tendencies of struggling with that, of different challenges that come up or just things that might hold us back because of the chair, you know, just breeds anger sometimes because you're frustrated. Like you said, frustration, I feel like is probably one that we can struggle with the most. And I think I bounce back a lot. I mean, I don't know. I'm interested to see if you agree of being sad and angry at the same time almost sometimes where I don't know if we I dipped into depression as much as just feeling both feelings at the same time being mad and sad yes that's real common especially with what we're talking about here where you can feel the sadness the grief and then go right into uh, like a cycle of of them feeling angry and again that's why I said that I think of it as a continuum all of our emotions have a continuum of mild moderate and severe so yes to to move into that is i think normal meredith what about for you johnny i would say for me i'm very i I think you hit it right on the head that i'm for me it's very strong anger i like to use the word frustrated because it kind of makes me feel better but at the end of the day it's not it's anger I like to, uh, you know, soften it by saying oh, I'm just frustrated. But I think at the end of the day, if I was honest with myself, uh, I'm angry uh, yeah. and not angry all the time. But when 
I face trials or face obstacles and uh, that I don't want to face that I just am kind of just tired of facing my, my default emotion tends to go to anger. And that isn't something that just happened after the accident either. That's been my whole life. You know, I, I, anger has always been a very dominant emotion for me. And I wouldn't say dominant, like I'm angry more than other emotions. I'm pretty positive guy and pretty happy guy, but I would say um, I slip into anger pretty quickly. Well, I think that's um, interesting because that's part of the work that we did together. Whenever I work with anybody, and I, I know your listeners are, for some of them, have not had the experience of going to a counselor, is that I look at family of origin, just understanding where we've come from and the impact of our family and our genetics and the epigenetics of us, just the, the reality of all of this together has an impact on us. And that's your story to tell, Johnny, uh, pre-accident, but I know that's something we talked about. And if anybody who is listening to this knows you and doesn't know that, they might be shocked right now. Like Johnny Moore has a struggle with anger. Does that make sense, Meredith? I mean, you know, if, if people don't know that about Johnny, now, again, I know that. That's one of those things that I wouldn't have necessarily brought up, but I was thinking about that. And I appreciate you bringing it up because that's what happens for us. If we have a predisposition to anxiety, our anxiety will get exacerbated. If we have a predisposition to depression and we face something like you all have faced, then it'll be depression. So the term of, you know, our go-to emotion is true. So that was just a little sidebar of, of kind of no. part of the work that we did together. Um, that, that links to this, which is true for all of us. So um, again, I appreciate you saying that, Johnny. And again, I had to comment on that because of the work we've done. And that if anybody, like I said, I'll say it again, if anybody knows you, unless they really, really, really know you, they're probably not going to know that anger is a go-to for you. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to put on a, a nice joyful front. <laughs> Well, you are. That's, that's what Meredith was talking about, the complicated nature of emotions. And again, we're looking at each other right now because of uh, doing this through Zoom, but uh, your, uh, your bright smile is real. That is a part of you. And anger, again, is a response to hurt. So that, does that make sense, Johnny? That as we're talking about it, like underneath of that is, is the hurt of the accident. I have genetics and a predisposition and a history of some anger. Put all that together and yeah. that's something that you're going to have to keep your eye on now. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a lot of ingredients in my, <laughs> in my pot of stew here. <laughs> nice ingredients. I like that. I like that. You want to you wanna comment? Meredith, and we can go right off into a couples counseling session live on <laughs> no comment. <action>. No comment. <laughs> um, okay, our next question is, could you talk to our listeners about our process through recovery and the steps you saw us go through to getting to trying to get to acceptance? That's a great question, Meredith. I think that as I think about you and your journey, Going through each one of those phases from us getting to know each other from that initial night that we've already talked about, I, I could tell stories that I remember as we sat together and you were 
looking at issues that you were facing as they relate to bargaining, to times for both of you where you were uh, depressed. And part of that I'm saying this is that people have to talk about the depression, what it's like to feel sad, hopeless, lack energy, motivation. And then in the anger that for each one of you from that place of being angry about what was happening, the impact on you, to ultimately acceptance, which is the idea of this is our life. This is what we are experiencing on a regular basis to the idea of moving past acceptance to where you are today, which is making meaning. David Kessler, who is one of the primary researchers who helped Elizabeth Kubler-Ross with her stages of grief, has added the sixth, which is making meaning out of what's happened. So it's not that we've just experienced this trauma, we've gone through this grief process, but that we make meaning out of it. And I can remember sitting with both of you in my office. You said that uh, Charlie had asked you to speak at Southbrook about what you had been through. And I think that that truly, as difficult as that was, particularly for you, Meredith, because uh, for any listener that doesn't know, the average weekend attendance at Southbrook is around 4,000 people. I bet that you never thought that you would ever be on that stage talking. Is that true, Meredith? Yes, that's true. <laughs> could see it happening a little more uh, readily for Johnny. Do you have a thought about that, Johnny, speaking on stage with Charlie about your story? Yeah, that isn't what Meredith would list on her top three things to do on a weekend. She describes her dream weekend. <laughs> that is perfect. So that is actually, though, why I'm saying that is because, so who would have thought, Meredith, that you would be the co-host of a podcast on a regular basis? That is acceptance moving into meaning. And I can't give any better explanation for what it really looks like, except to look at you two and say, well done. We got into the car one day after leaving church and Meredith's like, I think God told me that we need to start a podcast. No way. I did not know that. <laughs> I real big thinking, are you my wife? <laughs> well, one thing that your listeners don't know about me is that I like to use humor, but I am not even kidding. I think I could fall out of my chair right now. I did not know that story. It was a really interesting car ride home. It was great. How do you uh, reflect, Rick, on us moving through this? Well, that would be it, that Meredith would be saying, oh, by the way, Johnny, I think we need to do something bigger with this. And I will say that I, again, remember a conversation where I said, and I am not a prophet, but I said, I think you two have a story to tell beyond Southbrook. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. I don't mean to sound like I'm saying I told you so, because I'm not. <laughs> but you are. <laughs> but, but I am. It might sound like that, <laughs> but I'm not. We'll say, though, I was right. So, and it's awesome. Yeah. No, that's cool. And and I hope listeners, he, we're not here to boast about that, but just right. the process takes time. Like you said, when once you fall into that process, like I feel like John and I really tried hard to and work hard for 
you never know what road you're going to go down. Like I would have never thought we would be doing a podcast, but if we're able to encourage people and just inspire you to maybe trust that process, then, then this is absolutely worth it. Our next question for you is, uh, in your experience, does trauma affect a person's personality? To experience trauma is to be changed. And there's honestly good news and bad news in that. And I'll lead with the bad news. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, that trauma is to be wounded. We're all wounded right now with just what's unfolding in our world. Uh, Johnny that day, Meredith that day, you were wounded in a profound way. And I would say that the good news is that when you experience something such as you all have experienced, you have an opportunity to make a decision. Uh, statement, whatever, and I'm, I'm careful with this because I don't want to be disrespectful to anybody when they go through something, but that making meaning out of what has happened is your choice. You can become bitter, and that would certainly be true, Johnny, for you, and especially as we were talking about a, a predisposition to anger. You could have become an you could have become an angry man, a bitter man, and uh, you have chosen for this to be good, to be a good story um, in spite of the pain. And Meredith, you could have um, honestly, and this happens because you did not sign up for this as a young bride, you could have divorced Johnny. These things happen. People say, I don't want to spend the rest of my life with a partner who's in a wheelchair and all that comes with that. You could have stayed in the marriage and just been withdrawn, depressed. Neither one of you have chosen that. You have chosen to walk this path. And I want to encourage everyone that's listening to this right now that that is true about you. Whatever you're facing, and I don't, again, mean to be disrespectful, but I mean this with all my heart, whatever it is, that you have a choice, that you can face it and make meaning out of it. One of the people that I appreciate the most is Viktor Frankl, who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. He was a uh, medical doctor who was trained as a psychiatrist who experienced the horrors of the Holocaust. And it was there that he said what he realized with all that he experienced and all he observed there was the only thing that he had was the ability to choose day in and day out. And thus he developed a model of counseling called existential therapy. And so we're all familiar with the word existential, but really what it means is that we have choice no matter what is emerging in our life. And so that's what I would say is that the good news is that yes, trauma changes us. The bad news is yes, trauma changes us and we get to decide what we will do with it. That's great. That's awesome. And um, th that's a great segue into our next question. So we have a listener sitting, listening to this podcast right now and they're hearing about our experience with counseling and what you just said about, we have a choice. If someone chooses, hey, I think I've had some wounding and I wanna talk to somebody like Dr. Butts about that, what steps should they be considering if they're considering a um, relationship with a counselor? What, what steps would you encourage them to take? 
I know that I'm biased, but I believe it is important for all of us to have an opportunity to sit in a safe space and to tell our unedited story. And so if somebody feels like they have a desire to do that, where that they can share who they are in their core with no shame, no judgment, that I, that would be my first thing is if somebody's hearing this and thinking, hmm, I have not done that. And that might be something that I would be interested in. I would encourage you then to first, after that, uh, to talk to people that you know that have gone to counseling because referral source is the best way to find a counselor. And I think that's how you all got to me was through referral. Somebody referred you to me. The second thing that I would say as people are thinking about it is that depending on what you want to address in uh, your issue, if it's marriage counseling, you want somebody that has an expertise in marriage counseling. If it's trauma, because not everybody has an expertise, I've spent the last two decades, this is my area of interest, is looking at how the impact of wounding affects people and how to move forward. If you're struggling with other issues, addiction, you want somebody that has a background in addiction so that you want to second know what is their training because that's really important. And the third thing I would say is that once you go to counseling, and I say this to the people that come to see me, is that you want to make sure that it's a good fit. You want to feel a connection because no matter what the training, what the education, what the background of your counselor, is that you need to feel like you're being heard and accepted and that this is an environment for you to take the steps that you need to take to take for your own healing. That's great. Great. We just are so excited you came on this podcast with us and spent this time with us. We, of course, felt that connection with you. And so we totally agree with that, feeling that environment where you feel you can be honest and really get everything out that you have on your mind. I think that's really important for the process. It really is. It, it really is. The connection with the therapist it's an environment where you feel like you can be, I said it before, but heard and not judged that there is so much healing just in that. All the thoughts that you both experienced as we talked this through, again, it was an honor for me to have the chance to be part of your story. And so I took that as a deep opportunity then, and I feel that still today. Yeah. Oh, we appreciate it. We, we loved all of our time with you. Yeah. So as we wrap things up today, are there, is there anything, um, any final thoughts that you want to leave to our listeners today? I would say that if you are listening to this and are curious about what the experience of counseling would be like, that I just want to encourage you to uh, do it, that uh, take that step for you. Again, find somebody, talk to somebody about counseling and Again, this is not about me. It's about the, the process of taking that risk because it is a risk. It's scary. And that I know that oftentimes when people hear things that they're moved to move forward, that uh, if somebody is listening right now and is feeling that movement, that I would just encourage them to do it. Yeah. Well, we really, really can't thank you enough for joining us today. 
sharing your experiences with us. We're going to put a link in the show notes to your website, as well as the link to, I believe there is a link on there as well to the Healing Our Core Issues Institute that you do classes for. You actually do trainings for other counselors and other um, professionals. So we're going to definitely leave that in the show notes. And again, thank you so much for joining us today and, and just sharing your expertise with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I've really enjoyed this time we've had together. All right. As we close today, please take a moment, um, leave us a review. We'd love to have some stars and your thoughts and leaving a review in Apple Podcasts really helps people find us. So leave a review, give us some stars, share this with somebody that you think would benefit from it or someone that you think should hear this. I think that that is what helps spread our message further and helps more people experience the healing power of of counseling and, and the healing that comes from it. So thank you for listening today to the Ordinary Podcast, and we will catch you next time.